Heavenly Father, we do want to thank You, Lord, tonight for for our families, for the people that You give to us to, uh, to love us and uh, to care for us and for us to care for. We thank You, Father, that You, that you saw that it wasn't good that, uh, that people should be alone and that You've set this up so that there's just a maximum opportunity for, for love and for sharing and for helping and for ministry. And we thank You for that, Father. And we thank You, Lord, for the church where we have all of those blessings in the, in, the, uh, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank You for that. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word, and we pray that You teach us tonight, Father. Be our teacher, Lord. Open our eyes to the truth of Your Word, and don't let anything that, that is not true uh, filter in, Father, but that we should prove all things and hold fast that which is good. And we pray that with confidence in Your guidance, in Your Holy Spirit, and in the fellowship here one with another. And we thank You for all these things in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 13. I'd like to try and, and get down through the passage tonight. Uh, let's, let's read the seven verses there, first seven verses of Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Okay, now we, uh, we spent last week, actually we didn't even come to Romans chapter 13 last week, we talked about exceptions to this rule. And I, and I told you that the reason we weren't here or in any of the passages that, that teach this doctrine directly is because the passages that teach the doctrine don't teach it with exceptions. There are no exceptions here in Romans chapter 13. It says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. It's not if, but, until, unless... None of that in the passage. Just do it. For the exceptions, you have to go other places. You have to go to examples and to, to different narratives. And, and you can kind of see the behavior of the people of God. And, and we draw uh, our understanding of the exceptions from that. But when the doctrine is being taught, the doctrine is what it is. When, it, just like when God said, thou shalt not kill. 
He didn't say thou shalt not kill except, you know, if you're in self-defense or except uh, if you're a police officer or except if you're going to war or except in the case of a death penalty or all those exceptions to thou shalt not kill are not in the passage that teaches the doctrine. You have to go uh, other places. And the reason is because we have a tendency to latch on to exceptions. And, And particularly if there's doctrines that we don't necessarily care for, we hear the doctrine and our immediate reaction is, well, yeah, but. Well, what if? Well, how about when? And all so, so God doesn't give us that, that opportunity. When he's teaching the doctrine, he teaches it as it is. Um, so we didn't even look in Romans 13 last week because we were talking about exceptions to Romans chapter 13. Now, picking it up again in the passage, we did get down through in the last couple of weeks, um, verse 2. So let's try and make our way down through here, because I think the, the, the real meat and the, and the root of it is there in those first couple of verses. Verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. So God establishes human government, and He he does it for the good of society, for the good of man. And again, those of us, and and you know, I say us because you all know me. I'm as I'm as uh, you know disappointed in a lot of the things that that government does as as anybody. And I have to uh, rein myself in on that on, because of what I know from the scripture. And I trust that that you do as well. So you see a passage like that, and you say, "Well, rulers are not a terror to good works." And again, it jumps into our mind. Well, what about this, this, and the other thing. I mean, Paul is writing this under uh, Caesar, who not very long after the writing of this passage is going to be uh, is going to be using Christians to uh, you know to light his evening festivities tied to a stake. So how can Paul say that rulers are not a, are not are not a terror to good works, but to the evil? Well, again. The exceptions are not the issue. The fact of the matter is that you and I can sleep at night without you know, taking shifts, sitting in front of our doors and windows with a shotgun all night long, waiting for the you know, roving bands of marauders that are, that are you know, filling our streets, crashing into people's houses, taking what they want. That doesn't happen. You and I, we can sleep at night because there are people out there who are out there ministering for our good and for our safety and for our peace and who don't allow that kind of thing to go on in a general uh, sense. Okay, now, uh, you know, again, Perry and I were talking just a few minutes ago. We were talking about those exceptions. Uh, you know, I've, I've lived on this earth for 47 years and never once has my government commanded me to disobey God. Ever. They have always been, they've done things that are disobedient to God, their own selves, and they'll have to answer for that. But never once have I been in an exception situation. And I don't know anyone personally, I don't think, who has. Especially not in this country. Um, So they are there for our good. And they're not a terror to good works, but to the evil. They keep law and order. That's the the purpose of human government. That's why God established it. Anarchy 
uh, survival of the fittest, you and I understand, is not God's plan. God is for the weak and the helpless and the defenseless and the widows and the, and the fatherless and, and, and the poor and so forth. The people who need protection and who need help. And ultimately, in the end, all of us do because otherwise we're all just vigilantes uh, executing our own form of justice. So rulers are not a terror to good works but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. Let's take a look at a couple of verses. First uh, Timothy chapter 1 start us off. You notice in the passage, do that which is good. And what is that in the passage? Submit to the powers that be, to the higher powers. First uh, Timothy, Paul, he tells Titus the same thing. Put them in mind to obey magistrates, to submit to powers, to be ready to every good work. When you submit to the governmental authorities in God's eyes, that's a good work you'll get uh, rewarded for that. You'll be acknowledged for that. When you resist the power, uh, God says you'll receive to yourself damnation. Well, I told you before when we were in that verse, we'll talk about what that damnation is tonight as we get down through. First Timothy chapter 1, we are, uh, we're talking about the law of Moses here, but I'd like to kind of draw a wider context out of this passage. Verse... 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Now, Paul is talking about the law of Moses here, but the principle applies to law in general. The law is not made for a righteous man. If we were all, that, that's why you and I are not under the law today, under the law of Moses, because we have the righteousness of Christ that delivers us, and we have the guiding of the Holy Spirit, and if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if the whole world was led by the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have any need for laws. But you and I know that, that they're not and that we're not 100% of the time. So the law is not made for a righteous man. You know, laws, laws are, for, are for lawbreakers. And, and the lawbreakers make life worse for the rest of us. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, us, us good deed-doers, you know, us Christians who go around doing good all the time, uh, the law kind of gets in our way a lot of the time. But it has to be there because there are other people who will do ungodly things if it wasn't. So, so that's the idea. But you want to look down. Now, Paul's talking about the law of Moses. That is the law of God. But ask yourself... Does the, do the governmental powers that we reside under, do, if somebody was a murderer of father or a murderer of mother, would they be in trouble with the law? 
Yes, they would be, wouldn't they? If they were a men-stealer, would they be in trouble with the law? If they were a a thief, a forger, a defrauder, a contract breaker, a perjurer, all of these things that are against the law of God are criminally punishable. You look, adultery is in that. You say, well, adultery is not against the law anymore. Well, that's a cry in shame. But I'll tell you what, there is such a thing as alienation of affection. You ever hear of that? Somebody come and, and steal somebody else's wife or husband. That person can take them to court for alienation of affection and can, and can have them uh, penalized in the court for stealing their husband, stealing their wife. So the the idea is that uh, by and large the the laws that we live under and the government that we are under is in line with the will of God and the law of God. And it's there to force people. Remember what we said. The primary role of government is to enforce. Genesis chapter 9. If man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That's the punishment. That's, that's the whole basis of, of, of human government is that punishment for wrongdoing. So, uh, we see that, that uh, essentially speaking, in every culture, in every time, uh, under, under just about any circumstance, the moral law of God is the, is, the, is the ruling principle of the land because even the heathen have that law written in their heart. They know it's wrong to steal and to kill and to do these things and that's how they write their laws. That's why they're inexcusable when they stand before God having never heard of the Lord Jesus Christ because they knew what was right and they violated it anyway. Um, back to Romans chapter 13 so rulers are not a terror to good works but to the evil so the the whole idea is that when you submit to governing authorities you are submitting to, to, to someone, to something to an institution that is in line with God now again, we can look at individual things that individual people do that are not in line with God but that's not what we're talking about and the deeds of individual people do not exempt us and do not excuse us from this doctrine of submission to the government the powers that be for rulers verse 3 for rulers are not a terror to good works but to the evil wilt thou then not be afraid of the power so if, if anything else, do the right thing, submit to governmental authorities for fear's sake. If that's, if that's what it takes, that's what they're there for. If it wasn't for the fear, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have to be there. I mean, to, to, to wait until after someone kills somebody to kill him, you know, what's the, the, the argument? Well, that's not going to bring the person back. Well, no, of course it won't. That's not the point. The point is to induce fear. The fear for the next guy uh, not to do it again because he's going to end up dead like the first guy. And if we uh, implemented capital punishment the way that we ought to do, the way that God uh, commanded us to do, we'd be a whole lot better off. See, people say, let me, I hope I won't digress too much here. 
people people say that the death penalty is not a uh, is not a deterrent, and they do studies and they ask people, you know, murderers, if they if the death penalty was you know uh, alive and well in your state, would that have stopped you from doing blah blah blah? And they go, no, you know, no, it it wouldn't have. And they and they do studies like that, but what they don't take into consideration because they're not God is the fact that. It's not about me as an individual seeing someone executed and then saying, wow, I don't want that to happen to me. I'm not going to kill this guy that I was just going to go kill. That's not what it's about. It's about a societal attitude. It's about me growing up from a baby and into uh, uh, childhood and adolescence and into adulthood in a society that says if you kill someone, we'll kill you. Because this is unacceptable. This is severe and, uh, and, and absolutely uh, reprobate and unacceptable behavior. And we're going to show you how much we hate this behavior. We're going to take your life. When, when we grow up with that mindset in a society like that, then it's not about I'm not going to kill him because I'm afraid I'm going to die. It's I'm not going to kill him because that's reprehensible. Because that's awful. That's horrible. I'm just not going to do that. See, that's where the death penalty acts as a deterrent. It's not example for example. It's, it's about a mindset. And it's about a society that either allows people to just kill people, like we do, or not. Um, <clears throat> moving on. Sorry for that commercial. For, um, wilt thou, so wilt thou not be afraid of the power? So don't, don't do the wrong thing and you won't get punished, right? And if you do, then glory to God. What does Peter say? If you're, if you're punished for your, for your evil deeds, well, you know, the unbelievers can do that. If you suffer for doing good, glory to God. So do good. And generally speaking, you won't suffer for it. Do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. You want to be on the good side of the law. You want to be on the good side of the government. Now, again, you know, on the on the up and up. Now, you know, there are a lot of people on the good side of, of people in government uh, for the wrong reason. But I have to keep throwing that in there because we're all so conscious of that and we all just have that in the in the front of our mind. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the institute, the institution that God Listen, Marriage is an institution of God. You and I can spend all night, all day, all week, all month talking about horrible examples of things related to marriage and things that people do and things that they don't do and just all kind of things. But does that change the, uh, the truth regarding the institution of marriage? Does that change the institution? Does it change our, uh, our attitude and our submission to that institution? No, it doesn't. And this is a divine institution of God when we talk about human government. Um, so you want to be on the right side of it. You want to be on the right side of the law. Peter tells us the same thing. Look over in First um, Peter chapter 2. And thou shalt have praise of the same. You know, I remember Sandy and I, when we lived in Dwight many, many years ago, uh, they had a, the police department ran a citizen's police academy kind of a deal. And we said, hey, that looks interesting. Let's go and do that. So we went and we did that. And we got to know the, you know, the local 
law enforcement and, and, and different people like that. And um, that was helpful to us when we had... Uh, you know, different things would come up just in 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 the in the course of life, and it was nice to know people who 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 knew you and who you had a good relationship with, and and they would call on us. You know, every year they did a 5K run, and we would go out there with our little orange vests on, and you know, direct traffic and do all of that stuff, and 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 we were happy to do it, and we had a good. A, a good relationship. If we needed, you know, a cat out of the tree or, or whatever, we knew who to we knew who to call. Um, so it's just it's nice to have that uh, to be on the to be on the good side of the law. First Peter chapter two. Verse uh, twelve eleven. First Peter two eleven. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, by the way, that, that is not saying that these guys are going to, when God comes, when Jesus Christ comes, they're all going to say glory to God. They're going to glorify God by their judgment because they called you an evildoer and you weren't an evildoer. And when that happens, it gives God the, uh, uh, it strengthens his judgment against them. Paul tells us that over and over again. To, to them, it's a, uh, uh, it, it's a token of, uh, of iniquity, but to you, of salvation and that of God. And they'll find that out when the Lord returns. So God gets glorified when they do you evil and you return good for evil. God will be glorified. So live honest. Um, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. That's exactly what Paul just said. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So, Peter makes the appeal on the same basis that Paul does and that Jesus did. Uh, look, we're free people. Not because we live in the United States or in some other place or in, or in this time or in some other time, but because we're Christians. Because we're the children of God. But we're also the servants of God. So as free people, we willingly submit ourselves to, uh, to the powers that be. It's the same argument throughout the Scripture. Back in Romans 13. And, and he calls it, again, well-doing. And the people uh, that would want to speak against you for it, he calls ignorant and, and foolish. 
we've seen we've seen the nasty language that the Bible uses toward people who speak evil of dignities and and filthy dreamers and and all kind of not good things that the Bible calls them. Um, Romans thirteen. Verse 4, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. He who? Well, the powers that be. The president is the minister of God. Governor of Illinois is the minister of God. The mayor of Chicago is the minister of God. The policeman on the street is, is a minister. A minister of God. For all these things that we've been talking about, to, to keep law and order and to bring good and to keep good to maintain you know what did the elder daily say our, our job is not to maintain disorder or just to preserve disorder or something something like that he misspoke um, but that's the idea to, to preserve order uh, and, and give us the chance to live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty. So they are the ministers of God for good. If thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. Now there's the death penalty again. Uh, For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So, you know, I just heard this morning, yesterday morning, on my way into work, that they're trying to pass a law in New York that requires the police to, it, it, it ends the whole shoot to kill thing. You know, that a, a cop is trained that if you're going to draw your weapon, you better in, be intending to kill somebody. Whoever you're pointing that gun at, you're not, you're not shooting the wound, and you don't point it just to scare somebody. If you pull your gun, you be ready to kill whoever you're, whoever you're pointing that thing at. Well, they're trying to change that now, or somebody is. Uh, some, you know not wise person in in some legislative body somewhere they want them to shoot them in the arm or in the leg or shoot the gun out of their hand like in the cartoons obviously this whoever this person is that's doing has has probably never shot a weapon before in their entire life never mind under pressure and and uh, you know you're just watching too many you know too many Gene Autry movies, uh, you know. That's just so. This, you know, there. That's going exactly against this verse, which says, "He beareth not the sword in vain." What they're trying to do is to make him bear the sword in vain. We're going to give you a gun, but we're not going to let you kill anybody. the The idea there is that the government has the right to, and the power to kill you. So be afraid. God gave him that power. Not only did God give him that power, He gave him that duty and that responsibility to, to punish evildoers. Now look, he's the minister of God. Three times in this passage, Paul calls them the minister of God. The minister of God. The minister of God. Pressing that issue. And again, what, last week we said that when you submit to governmental authorities, you are ultimately submitting to God. That's why the exception is obvious in the rule. Because it's not the man you're submitting to, it's God you're submitting to, and it's God you're rebelling against when you don't. But here he says that he bears not the sword of, uh, in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now, 
that ought to remind you of something and I know we've spent a lot of time in these first couple of verses so maybe it doesn't so let me remind you back at the end of chapter 12 you remember what Paul told us there verse uh, 14 Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. That's exactly what Peter just told us in the context of government. Don't recompense evil for evil. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now I'll tell you, in different dispensations, that vengeance and that wrath of, of God uh, came much more swiftly in certain circumstances than we see it happening today. So how does God... God has reconciled the world unto Himself in this dispensation. So how does God execute wrath today? Well, Paul tells us in chapter 13, the government is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. How does God execute wrath in the dispensation of grace? Now this governmental principle goes all the way back to Noah, but this dispensation especially, because God is not directly uh, sending lightning bolts down on evildoers and causing uh, 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 brimstone to, to, to fall from heaven on them. He's got people that, that are ministers of His, specifically to execute wrath in this dispensation of grace. That's these folks here. The policemen on the street and the mayor and the governor and the president and the senators and all of these guys who have the power to do that. You and I can't go out doing that. He told, tells us that in chapter 12. I can't say, I'm, you know, I'm not going to submit to these governmental authorities. I'm the authority and go out and, and start executing wrath. I can't do that. Paul tells me don't do that. That's why we have government to do that. Thus says the passage. So he is... He beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. So, you know, now let's get into some little loftier motives, a little more grace-oriented motives here. It's Why do we submit to governmental authorities? Because I don't want to go to jail. No, hopefully, well, you know. Like I said, if it's got to be for fear's sake, then let it be for fear's sake. But hopefully, you do it for conscience sake. Because you understand that when you submit to the government, you are submitting to God. And you want to submit to God because you're a Christian, and it thrills your heart to do it. So not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Uh, now, what kind of time do we have? Well, we got plenty of time to talk about paying taxes, don't we? Um, <laughs> so let's move on. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Watch it. For this cause, for what cause? For conscience sake, pay ye tribute also. 
For they are God's ministers, third time, attending continually upon this very thing. This is their job. They don't. This is not part-time for them. They don't work during the day and patrol the streets at night. This is what they do. And if they're they're going to be paid, just like your uh, pastor does what he does full-time, and and we're happy to pay him to do it, and, and, and thank God for the privilege, it's the same with these guys here. We pay our taxes happily, and we pay their dues for conscience' sake, because they are in line with the, with what God wants for for society. And they work and minister continually upon this very thing. So we pay their salaries, and we do it happily, and we're thrilled to have them. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues. Some of their dues, the dues that I think are fair, the dues that I think are legal, render to all of their dues. Why? For conscience' sake. Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, before I run out of time, let's take a look at uh, let's take a look at a few verses, because this is th- th- this issue of paying taxes is an interesting one to me. Luke chapter twenty-three. Let's start there. You know this while you're turning there. This nation. At its at its root is is about religious and spiritual freedom, and when I say at its root, I'm going back beyond 1776 or 1787. I'm talking 1620. I'm talking Plymouth Rock and the pilgrims uh, that 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 came here to escape the the Church of England and the, and the religious persecution that they were under. They 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 found a new world where they could come and, and worship freely. But so so that that root was never has never left. It's still one of our most cherished freedoms and liberties and it wasn't gone in 1776 when we decided to rebel against King George but sadly the reason that we had to give in order to stir the uh, people up and it wasn't a majority of the people but in order to stir the people up was not religious liberty because really King George wasn't reaching across the ocean to to, uh, spy on our churches. It was about taxation. Taxation without representation. That's what the Tea Party was about. That's really what the revolution was about, at least on the surface. And that's a shame because I think that there were deeper roots there, more real and justified roots. And 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 it's sad to me that we had to use taxation without representation to stir people up to rebel against their king. There were real reasons to be independent. That wasn't one of them. In my opinion, I believe shaped by Scripture. Luke chapter 23, they've got the Lord... Uh, on trial. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. 
And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now, you and I know as we read that verse, we, our, our, our skin crawls at that, and, and because we know that the Lord didn't do that, He did exactly the opposite. Come back to Matthew chapter 17. But what I want you to see is that's the accusation. You remember uh, what they accused Paul of? Sedition. Sedi- he's, he's going against the government. And Paul defended himself. And he said, look, if I've done something worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But I have done nothing. They didn't find me with tumult. They didn't find me uh, rebelling against anybody. They didn't find me trying to overturn the government. I submit to my government. Even when the high priest slaps me in the face, contrary to the law, I shout out something at him, and then I'm told who he is, and I back off, and I say, the the Lord says, Thou wilt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people, even when he acted illegally. And God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. Yeah, he sure will, but that wasn't for Paul to yell out like that, and he knew it, and he backed off as soon as he knew who that man was. Because he sat in that seat. Matthew chapter 17. I'll get there. You all are there, and I'm not. Now this is, uh, interestingly and ironically, coming off of the Mount of Transfiguration where the Lord uh, displays His kingdom glory. Verse 24, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? Well, that's what they just accused him of over in Luke, right? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Paul says, Custom to whom custom is due, tribute to whom tribute. Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Kings don't charge their own kids taxes. You live free in the king's house. Jesus saith unto him, Well, then are the children free. What he's saying there is, Look, I'm... Uh, You just saw, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, who I am. I'm the king of this world. The children of the kingdom, the true kingdom, are free. We don't, we don't, uh, we're not subject to, uh, uh, to, to taxes by nature. We're not subjects of this earthly kingdom. We're subjects of a heavenly kingdom, he says here. The children are free. So let's all, so here tonight as Americans, let's all agree that we're all free. Okay? We are all free. So what do we do? Well, it's free. That means we don't pay, right? Free means you don't pay. Then are the children free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. Go thou to the sea, cast a hook, and take up a fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. So the Lord Jesus Christ paid taxes. You say, well, he didn't take it out of the bag. He sent Peter to go and catch a fish. Well, listen, how was Peter making money anyway? 
You go and catch a fish. You trade the fish in for a coin. Well, he just eliminated the middleman and put the coin in the fish's mouth. What difference does it make? He didn't make it appear. The idea there is Jesus paid taxes. Why? Because uh, he was by nature uh, subject to this government? No. He was free. Nevertheless, what does Paul say? For conscience sake. Lest we offend them. And then they turn around and offend us, by the way, because he bears not the sword in vain. Pay the money. Pay their dues. Uh, later on in, in chapter 20. Chapter 20, I hope, could be 22. There it is. Sorry, chapter 22. The famous uh, quote that everyone gives you when it comes to paying taxes. Uh, the, the scribes and Pharisees and so forth, the Herodians, are trying to trip the Lord up in his words, so they ask him a trick question, which is a trick question. It's still a trick question today. Do you pay your taxes as a, as a Christian? Ought we, to what extent ought we ca to cast in our lot with this government? Whatever you think, you know, how horrible or wonderful you think the government to be, if I'm supporting them, Aren't I complicit in their uh, disobedient deeds and so forth? Well, remember, you're under Caesar here. This is, not, uh, this is not King David that we're talking about. This is a wicked, vile uh, chain of, uh, uh, of people on the throne in Rome at this time. And they come, uh, the scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus, verse 17, 22, 17. And say, tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Simple question. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? Whose picture is this on the coin? And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now, I've got a minute here, so let me just say to you, that, that, that verse is quoted a lot. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And that's the answer to a, to a Christian generally who asks the question, should a Christian pay taxes? Jesus said, render unto Caesar. Give Caesar the money. Give God you know, the spiritual things. Give, God, give Caesar your pocketbook. Give God your heart. That, that kind of a thing. But there's, but there's more there. Because in rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, you are rendering to God the things that are God's. That's the Lord's point here. That's why he calls them hypocrites. Because the fact of the matter is that there's no controversy here. There's no, uh, there's no issue to be had here. Because we're the children of God, there's a question as to whether we should pay taxes. That's completely fabricated. 
That comes from nothing that God has to say about the issue. That is completely the, uh, the, the, the machinations of, uh, of men who don't want to pay their taxes or who just feel like rebelling for whatever reason. The Lord says you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and, and in doing that, your, your heart and your conscience is toward God so that you're doing good on both levels. That's the point there. So why do we pay our taxes? Because we'll get thrown in jail if we don't, right? Well, you know, be afraid if you've got to be afraid. But we pay our taxes for conscience' sake, same way we submit to governmental authorities for conscience' sake, because when we do it, we are paying tribute to God. I'm done.